Just kidding. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our church, God. We thank you for what you're doing in your church, God. We pray, God, that you touch every pastor across this city, God, that you move in every single church, not just ours. But Lord, as we've been worshiping and as we've been praising, we pray right now that you would begin to move over our hearts, that you would begin to work on behalf of your people, that your word would be spoken, and that you would have your way in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. We just honor you in Jesus' name. Come on, the church says amen. 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 I ask that you keep my family in your prayers. My wife is not here. She's with my child, and my child is sick. Amen. And if you would just keep them in your prayers, the Burgoses would appreciate that. Amen. And then if you're just joining us today, you're catching our church in a very unique time, a unique season. where we are in the midst of celebrating 30 amazing years of God's wonderful privilege of being in ministry in this great city. Amen. It's time to give God praise for him. And um, we, we are in week six of our Driven series uh, uh, we, we've been talking about Matthew, the fourth chapter, and the work of Jesus Christ and what he did when he fought Satan through temptation and all manner of things. And last week, we had an amazing time, amen? We had an amazing time. How many here last week, amen? And, and God was moving, and we, we spoke last week about why Jesus did not accept the world from Satan. We talked about last week the order of Satan that was in the world that Jesus refused. We talked about how Jesus refused to settle for what the enemy was trying to give him when God had something better. Amen. We talked last week about about the deliverance that God has for the church when we say that we don't love the world. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, John declares, do not love the world or the things in the world. Amen. And because of that, we know, we know that Jesus has a better plan for our lives. And I want to focus today on something a little different. Something a little different than last week. I went really hard last week. Maybe I'll go a little softer on y'all this week. Amen. But I want to talk about submission to God. Submitting to God. And it comes from the same chapter, Matthew, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to start in verse 8. I'm going to start in verse 8. And I want to point out just three things to you. And I'm going to get out of your way. Just three things that I just sense that the Holy Spirit is trying to guide some of you guys into. Amen. Chapter four, verse eight. And it says this again. Somebody say again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Amen. That's how I read it. For it is written. Somebody shout it out. For it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then, then the devil left him. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? And then the devil left me alone. And then Satan's work was broken in my life. And then Satan had no more power or authority in my life. And then I was free. But why did Jesus, or rather, how did Jesus make this happen? He says this, and then Satan left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. 
Jesus, as I've told you five weeks in a row now, he's been fasting in this wilderness. The Holy Spirit has driven him, as the Bible says in the book of Mark, has driven him to the wilderness. Jesus was just baptized by his cousin, John. And when John saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus went before him and he, 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 was, he was, didn't want to baptize Jesus because he thought Jesus was just too holy for him. And Jesus said, no, in order that we fulfill all scripture, you must baptize me. And when he did, the Bible says the heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and the, the Father God spoke a blessing over the life of Jesus. And instantly, the Holy Spirit that had come over him drove him into a dark place, rather, uh, and when I say dark place, I mean spiritually, to be tempted of the devil. And Jesus was fasting, the Bible says, 40 days and 40 nights. And you have to understand why it says 40 nights, because in the time of the Bible, people would only fast from sun up to sundown. We can't do that here because that's cheating during the wintertime. Amen. We don't wake up till it's already sun up and then five o'clock sundown. We're good. Amen. And Jesus, he made a distinction in that he fasted concurrently 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water. And Satan has been battling with Jesus. We've been through five weeks of what Satan has said to Jesus. And I want to point out some things that Jesus says to Satan. And Satan is finally responding in this third temptation. He's responding to Satan's offer of the world. And Jesus says this. He again quotes Deuteronomy and he says, Satan, be gone for it is written. You should worship only the Lord our God. And serve him. You should worship. Somebody say worship and serve. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's really important. We have to worship and serve. Jesus echoes these words that Moses had spoken to God's people while they were in a wilderness of their own. Jesus is echoing these words of Moses and Jesus is telling him again. He says, Satan, I can't worship you. Last week we knew why he didn't want the world, but now he tells us why he can't worship Satan. He says, I can't if I wanted to because I'm already submitted to another. I can't. You see, if you have an ability to sin, it's because we're not submitted to one or the other. Jesus says, I can't do that to you for you because I'm already submitted. I can't. I already play for the best NBA team and I play for the Knicks. I can't. Amen. I can't sign if I'm under contract with the New York Knickerbockers. Amen. Only anointed folk know about them Knicks. Amen. We're praying for anybody else. Amen. And, and so you can't serve two masters. And Jesus says that I can't worship you. And this, this word worship is kind of interesting. It's, it, it's kind of unique to, to, to Matthew's gospel. It's the only time he uses these words, this phraseology. And he says, I can't worship you. I have to worship God and I can't serve you. I have to serve God. And this word worship, it kind of has a different connotation. It's not what you might think. This word worship means this. It means to submit to the spirit of God and the truth of God. So Jesus is saying this, devil, I can't submit to your spirit and I can't submit to what you call truth. I can't submit to you and I can't submit to your work. 
I can't submit my life and, and live in, in two worlds. I can't do that. I have to choose either to worship God or I worship something else. Either I choose God, amen, or I'm choosing the world. Either I serve God. There's no gray area. Either I serve God or serve the devil. And Jesus makes a distinction and he says, I can't worship, meaning submit to the spirit or truth that you bring. True worship, church, is when you submit your lives to God. Worship is not just songs we sing. Worship is the life that we live. Worship is not about your favorite song that you play in your car. Worship is not about forever rain. Worship is not about your best Christian band. Worship has nothing to do with music and everything to do with the submission to God's will for your life. Worship. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23, but the hour, somebody say the hour, is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I got some Biblepedias here. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody reading your Bible. For the Father is, somebody say seeking. God's looking. God's looking. I love... I love when somebody says to me, Pastor, I found Jesus. He wasn't lost. You can't find something that's not lost. You were found by God because John chapter 15, Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And so you can't reject God because you didn't choose it. He's choosing you. God chooses you. Soak that in. God chooses you. This is the beauty of God, that he would see our condition and still choose you. That he would see all that we would do and know all of our imperfections and all of our faults. And he would look over the landscape of our life and he would see from beginning to end. He would still desire to commune with you. When I was younger and I really upset my mom, she would say, I wish you would never. I wish I never had you if I knew what you were going to do to me. And, and that was just an anger because my mom loves me. I was her favorite. Amen. But, but, but. Think about if God, amen, my sisters, they're all here today. I can say that boldly, amen. And, and, and the good thing was this, was that God never took on that mentality with us. Soak that in. If God knew everything you would do, and he did, and he still loves you through it. And so Jesus says this, he says, he says, Satan, I can't submit to your will because I'm too busy worshiping the Father in spirit, Amen. And in truth, meaning I'm aligning my life to the unction of the Holy Spirit. Have you, have you ever, have you ever maybe been to that place in your life when you first came to God? See, when you first come to God, it's like turning on that light switch and you're like, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't be talking like this or I shouldn't be. And maybe sometimes you'll slip and then you have that sense like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Amen. That's aligning your life in spirit to God. Because you're taking your spirit and you're putting it in alignment with the will of God for your life. And then when it says truth, it's talking about the truth of the word of God. The truth. John 17, or 15, 17 says your word is truth. Sanctify them by your word, O God, because your word is truth. Jesus praying to the Father for you and me. He says sanctify them by your word because your word is true. So the first part of this that I'm trying to unpack to you is Jesus says you have to worship God. Are you with me today? Point number one is this, is that submission to God's spirit and his truth is real worship. 
I don't care how loud you sing. I don't care how good you sing. I don't care how many Christian songs you have. I don't care how many radio stations are in your Pandora that are Christian music. It doesn't matter if you listen to K-Love all day or WDJZ. It don't matter if you got every Hillsong album, if you got every Jesus Culture album. It don't matter if you don't have a heart that is changing towards God. It doesn't matter. Because to know the truth and not do it is sin. And so, and so Jesus is saying, he's saying, you have to worship the Lord our God. And this word worship, he's not talking about just singing. He's talking about aligning your life with the word of truth. That's why it's so important that we study the word so that we can align it with truth. That we can say, this is what God expects of me. Another word for for submission or submit, because that word submit sometimes is offensive, especially in relationships. When man says, you got to submit to me, woman, you got to just give it. No, just calm down. It's not an offensive word. It's it's not an offensive word. It's a positive word. Another word for submit is yield. Yield, yield. I I, I often go by the coffee shop, uh, uh, by the the little roundabout over there in Fairfield, little donut inn. It's a little slice of heaven. If you've never been there, go there. Amen. Um, Heaven is right shining down. I think Jesus got baptized there. That's where heaven opened up, and then they made a coffee shop. But that's not here or there. So what I'm talking about is this, is that I... I go there often, but what I hate about going there is the way I have to get back. Because I have to go around this roundabout, and there's this stupid sign there that says, yield. Yield. And I always break the law there. I'm a sinner. I like, just God saved me. I'm under construction. I always break the law there because rarely do I yield. And it's not because of malintention. It's just I always want to just go ahead. I get to the sign. I see a car. And I say to myself, like most of you, I can make it. I can do it. It's going to be all right. This is no problem for me. I got a 2013. Put that back. Boom. Until one day you crash. Because you weren't looking the right way. I remember I went to Florida, and I went to a friend's house, and, and in their little community, they had this roundabout that's from hell. It's like, it's got like 10 exits and 30 entrances, and it's just hell. It's like a little racetrack. When I was a kid, I used to have those racetracks, and cars would come, and just crash everywhere. I didn't know where to go in, where to go out. I was driving around this thing for like 20 minutes. That's an exaggeration, a huge one. I'm just, about like two minutes. I'm like, which street do I take me? Which street do I take me? And so my point is, my point is this, is that, is that, other times, I almost got into an accident there because I didn't know where I was going, but I had to yield to other cars. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm saying to you that, that submitting to God is putting him, letting him go first in your life. Oh, before you go ahead and just bulldoze your way, you've got to let God's will first in your life. That's yielding to God's will. In other words, if I am on the road of life, and God is, is telling me to do something, I've got to put God's will before mine own. Whether small ways, church, or great ways. Whether in small ways, when I want to wake up and do something, no, 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 God has put it in me, my heart, to seek him first in the morning. That's my privilege, or rather my commitment to God, and so I have to put him first before my desire to do my own thing in the morning. Before I turn on ESPN, before I listen to sports radio, before I go over there and do anything, before I even mess with my kid or, or talk to my wife, i got to seek the Lord. i got to put God's will first. Or even on a bigger scale, where I committed my life years ago to be a pastor and serve the work of the cross. 
I put my life on the back burner and I said, God, have your way and I'll submit my life to your will. Worship means yielding to God's will because his spirit will guide you and his truth will guide you as you worship. Singing church is great. I love to sing. I love to worship God in that capacity. But the greatest worship is when you live according to God's desires for your life. I've seen some of the greatest singers, some of the greatest worshipers. But yet, if there's no following God's will, it is all for nothing. Lest we seek the Lord. Amen. And so Jesus, I I don't even want to talk about worship. That's not my point today. Amen. Jesus, I just had to lay this foundation for you. Jesus is saying, you've got to worship God. I can't, somebody say, I can't worship the devil because I worship God. And then Jesus kind of segues. He kind of just, he says, and serve him only. That's a problem. Most of us, we love to worship because worship is exterior a lot of times. Worship is everyone, look at me, I'm in church. Look at me, I go to do this, I do that, I seek God. But serving God deals with obedience to God's will. Serving God means obedience in his life. Listen to this, listen to this. Here's point number two. The depth of your submission dictates the depth of your servitude. The way in which you submit and yield your life to God, it will tell me how you're going to serve God in your life. It'll tell me how you're going to serve the purposes of God. And you might say, Pastor, what do you mean by serve? I mean by servitude. I love, I love John F. Kennedy, his quote. He said, ask not what your country, anybody here know JFK can do for you, but what you can do. All the young folks are like, who is JFK? What you can do for your country. I want to say this to you. Ask not what God can do for you, but what can you do for God? How do you serve the purpose of God? If God is the main character in the story of life, how do we as individuals serve God? It's not enough just to worship Jesus is saying. It's not enough, church, to come. You have to be a part of the functioning body of believers. Jesus is making it clear that if we just worship, we only fulfill half of what God would desire because worshipers end up serving because worship means submitting to the will of God and serving means doing the will of God. Peter says that God has given us all gifts, that we should serve one another with our gifts, that we should serve the purpose of God, that we should serve the kingdom of heaven. Worship deals with intimacy with God, but serving deals with obedience in our lives towards God. Serving means that we are not just talking about it. We're not just singing about it. We're living it out and exercising it out in our lives that we love God. You ever heard that phrase, don't tell me you love me, show me. All the women said, show me. Just. Or this one, don't tell me you're sorry. Show me. Just don't act the same. Show me you're different. God says, don't just sing to me. Show me. Show me. We've got to show God. Because when we show God, he will do great things in your life. Servitude goes beyond ourselves. 
Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said this. He said, the son of man, speaking of himself, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve others. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be, be, be just, oh, look at me, serve me hand and foot. He was God in the flesh, but he served others. And the Bible says he gave his life as a ransom. When Jesus served the will of the Father, he opened up heaven for you and me. And you're saying to me, what does that got to do with anything? It shows me that when I serve God, I open up doors for others to reach God. If I asked you by a show of hands, how many of you gave your life to God in this church? Raise your hand, come on. How many gave your lives to God in this church? You would not know Christ if I was not serving God. No glory to me. Glory goes to God because I'm only telling you what he's already done for you. The greatness and the goodness of our God. Your life of servitude should display the greatness and the goodness of God. Jesus said one of the most profound things in scripture in Matthew 9, 37, it stands to this day. He said, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are so few. Church, do you realize that the connection with the harvest is directly connected to the harvesters? Do you realize, church, that you can't take in more room than you have? Do you realize that there's this amazing story, this great story of this old widow who, who was dealing with the prophet Elijah and she was dealing with the prophet and she came to him and said, prophet, you know, it's a famine in the land. I ain't got nothing in my house. I, I'm in debt and they're going to take my sons as slaves. And the prophet's like, okay, um, I want you to go to all your neighbors. I want you to go and grab all the bottles and, and all the bowls that you can. And she and her sons, they went around and they collected all the bowls that they could possibly find. And they brought all the bowls. And then he said, start pouring oil into the bowls. And she had just this little thing of oil. And the Bible says that as she poured it, right, she poured it to one, two. She filled up every bowl. The little thing of oil would not give out. She kept on pouring and pouring and pouring. But here's, here's the key to this story. She was only limited by the number of bowls she collected. You're like, okay. <laughs> the more you serve, the more opportunity God has to pour into you and bless others. The more you pour out of yourself, God will pour into you. The more you serve, the more you, you just give to God selflessly, God will in return, somebody say, give to me. He says, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great. The world is in need of Jesus Christ. The world is in need of what you have. The world is in need of discovering God. The world is in need. Never before has the words been truer. And Satan's plan is this, is that when you do serve, he frustrates you. When you do serve, he throws all manner of things at you. He throws all types of problems at you. He throws all types of mentalities at us. He throws all types of issues at us. But truth be told, truth be told, when we serve, we can move mountains. You can change lives and God can be glorified. Let me give you this third point that I just really felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me this morning, as a matter of fact. Verse 11, I love because 
it's the finality of this whole paragraph of scriptures. And it says this, it says, it says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The angels came and were ministering to him. And, and, and at a glance, that might not mean nothing to you, but check this out. This only happens two times. In the life of Jesus. The other time is when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be killed on the cross and he's praying. And the Bible says that he was bleeding blood, uh, sweating blood rather. And he was going through all these things. And, and the Bible says that when he prayed, God sent angels to strengthen him. When he was praying, when he was doing the will of God, when he was serving the purpose of God, when he was saying, God, I'm in the will. God, I'm not going to deviate from the plan. Not my will, but your will, Father. When he started walking in that healing, in that word of God, in that servitude, that desire for God of his life, angels came to minister to him. Here's point number three, really simple, but really profound. When you meet God's needs, God meets your needs. And that may sound crazy. Like, why does God even have a need? Like, he's God. Like, why does he have any type of need at all? And, and, but this is kind of how God works. And God, God is kind of, I think, I, I don't want to say weird, but God's kind of funny to me. If you read Genesis, it's really kind of strange because God, he creates gardens, right? He creates trees. He makes grass. He makes all types of animals. And then God looks down and he's like, dude, there's, there's zebra running over here. There's a giraffe running over there. There's a lion playing in the bushes. And he's like, I haven't named none of these people. I tap out. I'm not going to take care of none of that. I'm going to create Adam. What, what are you saying, pastor? God always creates a need before he creates a person. And when you were born, God saw a need of you. And God creates you to fulfill this need. And when we serve God's purposes, God comes on your behalf and he fulfills your needs. There's this interesting scripture and it's in, it's in Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus is giving this sermon on the mount. He's giving this sermon on the mount and he's like, listen, listen. He's like, listen, don't you, don't you dare worry about anything. He just kind of segues out of nowhere. He says, worry about nothing. And we know that now, we know that worry is one of the greatest ways that Satan attacks people. Amen. Depression is one of the greatest ways. Anxiety is one of the craziest things in the world. It's real. And Satan attacks people with depression and anxiety and worry. And this is what Jesus says. Listen, 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 listen. He says this. He says, don't worry. He said, have you ever thought about the birds? Have you, have you ever thought about them, he says? Matthew 6, you can read it. He says, have you ever thought, they don't have barns, they don't have a refrigerator, but I provide all their food. They never sow, but they always reap. They don't have a harvest time, but God always provides. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. He says this next, he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. All the women said, oh my God. When you changed your outfit four times this morning, don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, don't worry. He goes, have you considered the flowers of the field? Have you considered their splendor? How I've robed them with colors? Have you considered that? He said this. He said, the flowers of the field, the flowers of the field are dressed better than Solomon in all of his glory. 
He says, don't worry about that. And what he says next changed my life. And I know the scripture because of one reason. Because when my father passed away, it was interesting. My sister gave me like a bedroom makeover. It was like, you know, she gave me a pastoral makeover. It was really cool. And, and, and I walked in and she had put and stenciled on the wall, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And this is the trap of the enemy to stop you from serving. Stop us from worshiping. He makes you worry about all the circumstances of life so that you won't serve God. He'll keep you so busy and so flustered and so concerned with your life here on earth that we forget about eternity. Number one tool of the enemy these days is distraction. I'll prove it to you how many times you check your phone while I was preaching. Conviction swept the crowd. How many notifications did you... What's that? I'm going to die if I don't check my Facebook. Distraction. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've got it all backwards. If you worry about your food and your house and everything first and then seek God, it's all backwards. But if you seek God, if you seek God, And the problem with seeking God is we don't like the place it takes us sometimes. It took Jesus to the cross. It took Paul to prison. It took David in front of a 13-foot giant. It takes you down a tough road. Jesus said, narrow is the road to salvation. But broad is the road to destruction. But narrow is the road to my house. And very few find it. And if you're not looking for it, you might miss it. Narrow is this road to Jesus. But if you meet the need of God, church. If you begin to say, I want to be a part of what God's doing. Right now, there's people who are serving and they're teaching your children about God. 8.30 this morning, 20 people rolled in to set up church. They're serving God. And they're saying, I want to make an opportunity to see God move in the lives of people in Bridgeport. I want to make an opportunity to see God change lives and to see people come to Jesus, to come to the knowledge of the cross and to know God. Because above all else, the most important thing is that people would know God. People would know him. That they would know him in spirit and truth. And I was just thinking the other day, and I think to myself, how often we forget that we were harvested by somebody. There was at one point in our life that we were lost and we were unsaved and we were in sin, but somebody spoke into your life. I thank God for the people who've spoken into my life. I thank God for the situations that I've been through, that God has been able to speak into my life, his, his will for me, his desire to love me. Some of you were saying, Pastor, serving sounds great. That sounds cool. But what am I going to do about all the issues in my own life? What am I going to do about all the problems that I got in my I'm doing, I just, my life is crazy enough. I want to challenge you to slow your life down. Seek God first. And watch the miracle of God in your life where other things and all those things you desire will be added unto you. Because you could spend your whole life chasing everything you want. But what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? It doesn't. 
Pastor, why are you talking about this? Why are you talking about this? I'll tell you the truth. I didn't want to come here today. My daughter's in Yale Hospital. But God said no. There's people who need to hear the word. I said, no, 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 God, I don't want to go. I don't want to stay here. And he said, seek ye first. Some of you were thinking, that's bad. That's bad. You should have been with your kid. And I thought about this, the centurion who had a sick servant. And he went across and he went to Jesus. And he went to Jesus. And in the meantime, God healed the servant. My prayer was that, God, while I'm serving you, serve my child. God, while I'm doing for you, you do for me. What I'm telling you is I'm not telling you to do something I'm not doing myself. Putting God first at all costs. God at all costs. I was 14 years old. I was 14 years old. I was on 1312 State Street. I was with Daniel, my father, and a couple other kids. And we were taking the building that we had as a church at the time. We were barricading it because we were dealing with the whole issue. We have told you in the past about eminent domain. We were losing that building. And I remember, I remember that day, clear as day in my mind. I'll never forget it. I remember Daniel jumping from the second floor. I remember how we barricaded it. I remember looking around the building. And I never thought it would be the last time that I saw that building. And, and, and within a couple of days, we lost the building. We lost all of our chairs. We lost all of our stuff for months on end. We, as the church, had nothing. Because sometimes the road that God sends you on is utter destruction. And there comes a point in your life where you don't understand why God has you on this road. It's like, God, you told me to come here. God, you told me to do this. Why am I going through so much trial? Have you ever been to the place in your life where you draw closer to God and closer to trouble at the same time? You were in good company. Paul felt the same way. Peter felt the same way. And God, and God, and God will, will walk you through that road. It's like Jesus in this passage. You sent me to the wilderness to be tempted. God will send you down dark roads. And in that moment, in that moment, church, in that moment, I never thought for a second it would be the last time I ever saw my church. Never thought that. But it was. I didn't want to preach this today because I knew my sisters would be here, but God just, he put it on my heart. Just, I saw my father cry on his knees in his room. People left him left and right. Church collapsed to 10 people. Couldn't even afford to get, we had to meet back in the house. It was totally backwards. This was the time where if he would have said, screw this, I don't want to be a pastor. God, after all this prayer, after 16 years of preaching, after everything, this is what I get. And the following Sunday, got behind a little music stand just like this, just like this one. And he got it up and he brought it to the house and he got two speakers and he got a little piano for me to play and we had church in the house. 
a little taller, so it was a little higher, I promise you. We had church in the house. And you may say, Pastor, I don't, you're off on a tangent. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I promise you. I'm taking this somewhere. He says, he says, you know what? He, he talks about the purpose of God over the church and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Sunday school was in the, is in the dining room and, and kids were getting water. I was getting water. I was sleeping because I was late to church and everything else. And I came down the steps and, and it was, it was a terrible time in my life. It was confusing to see God, to see God bring my family to this place. At that moment, he could have stopped. But when you worship God in spirit and in truth, you have to submit to the will of God and not your own. Do you realize something? If he would have said um, enough is enough, that not one of you would be here today. Do you realize, does that, does that hit home that if somebody way before us had not had pressed on in the time of crunch time, in a time where it hurt, where it was desperate times, if somebody had not just gone forward and said, I'm going to go with what God originally told me because I will not settle for similar when God's promised me exact and I will not quit on God when something's not working my way. I will not give up when it looks like things are bad, but I will press through and I will seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto me. If somebody could understand that somebody else before you came. And then, and then, and then we ended up at Howard Avenue. Some of you know that story, so bear with me. We ended up at Howard Avenue. It's only right we talk about church history during the anniversary month. And then we had all these cheers, and then we had the ugliest cheers. Like, they were ugly. We had some wooden ones, some cloth ones, some plastic ones, some with wheels, some computer desk chairs. It was like the Frankenstein of church chairs. It was terrible. And the first time we only had like 10 and then, and then as every church closed down, they gave us their chairs. And so we had like 12 different types of chairs. And my dad was, I'll take them, I'll take them. I was just like, no, don't take that. We don't need that. No, don't take that. Don't take that. No, no, no. And so, and so, and so, and it was funny because one pastor, he gave us a, a amplifier, a, a power amp. And I saw him the other day. I said, you know, that was 10 years ago. We still use it, man. He was like, praise God. And so what, what I'm saying is that we ended up getting all these chairs. And, and then, and then we ended up having another section of chairs. And then, and then, but we didn't have enough people to fill. We had like 150 chairs and like 30 people maybe. But when you know God has called you to do something, and you keep on serving irregardless of circumstance, and you keep on pressing irregardless of what's going on in your life. And my dad, it was, it's kind of weird. Like he would, so he would preach at us this way and the other chairs were that way. And he would go to empty chairs and he was preaching and God's going to come to you and God, and he's pointing, but there was nobody there. He would literally prophesy to empty chairs. He would drive by buildings in Bridgeport and wave at the promise. He was so convinced of what God had promised him. He was so, through all hardship, through all circumstance, he served. 
Because when you meet God's needs, God meets your needs. God showed me something. God showed me a blood-washed Bridgeport in Jesus' name. As I came here this morning, God showed me lines of people desiring to see God. As I came here this morning, God showed me two and three services in this auditorium next year. God showed me something. I got a revelation this morning of the Holy Spirit that he is going to multiply. That I got a revelation of the Holy Spirit this morning that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because God is going to multiply. God is going to bring exponential growth to this church. More so than what we've seen. 300 is not good enough. 100 more, 200 more. God showed me this morning as I sat at my room and I cried to God. He said, no son, you can't give up yet. There's a bigger purpose at hand. God showed me the balcony being full. God showed me classrooms in this building full. God showed me. God showed me. God, and I'm not saying that for the sake of glory, but God showed me that there would be people who would be so desperate for Jesus, they would wait for hours in the weather, not caring what it was, because Jesus would be here, and he would be healing people, and he would be sanctifying people, and there would be lives changed, and there would be, why? Why? Because harvesters stood up and said, I want to see a harvest in Jesus' name. I want to see God move. God showed me. I heard this preaching by one of my favorite preachers and it was called Jesus told me to. I kind of live by that statement. I'm not going to stop because Jesus told me to. And when God tells you to, it's going to keep on. It's going to keep on. And here's the thing, that sounds great. But you're going to leave here and face your problems. You're going to face circumstances and situations. And I want you to think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Do not worry. If you seek God first, all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Because I want to talk to your hearts this morning of those who are troubled and those who are heavy burdened and those who are heavy laden. Those who don't see serving God in the capacity that you need to. That's a possibility because of all the strongholds in your life. Would you just bow your heads right now? Holy Spirit, touch every heart, touch every person right now. God, I know what you showed me in this place. But your word says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Here's a promise of God for you in this room today. If you come, he will give you rest. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you know that's you, you need rest in Jesus' name. Your soul needs rest. Before you can worship, before you can go serve God, your soul needs rest. If that's you, come on, lift your hand as high as you can. You're dealing with struggles, depressions, stresses, anxieties. My God, my God.
Here's part two. Here's part two. He said this. He said this. He said this. Jesus said, come. He said, come. He said, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Give you rest for your souls. Father, we come before you. We come before you in the mighty master's name of Jesus. That you would teach your people how to draw closer to you. To see what it is you want us to do. To serve the purpose you want us to serve. In Jesus' name. I ask you now, if you have your hand raised, if you raised your hand and said, I'm dealing with something, that you would fulfill part two and you would take a step of faith and you would come to this altar right now where the Bible says, come, come to me, come to me, and I, I will give you rest. That's you. Come on, make your way. Come, come, come. Come to him. Come to him. And I'll give you rest. He says, come to me. I'll give you that rest. You've struggled too long. Surrender. Remember, worship means submitting to the will of God. Submitting to the will of God. Listen, people, you need to submit to the will of God. Your life has been way too long outside the will of God. Submit to the will of God right now. Submit in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the matchless name of Jesus. We come against anxieties, depressions, and worries. We come against the works of the enemy. We come against the, the lying spirits in this place right now who would deceive us not to come to the altar, to come to the Father. Come in Jesus' name. Jesus.